We just had a suggestion for Dairy Queen, which I'm, I'm always down for Dairy Queen, especially a cotton candy blizzard. I mean, somebody else might like M&M blizzard, and that's fine. It's totally fine. Uh, so welcome to people joining us online. If you weren't here, uh, you only heard about half of that, and let me tell you, it was top-notch. I'm sorry you weren't here to hear the rest of it. Um, can we give a hand to our kids team? They love on our kids so very much, uh, those that were up here and those who weren't today. I just, I appreciate you as a mom <laughs> um, and as a co-laborer in Christ. You are all just so very appreciated. Um, it's not always everyone's strong suit to work with kiddos, and I'm amazed at those who do it so well. Uh, so last week, Jonathan preached on the first part of Acts 15 about the importance of unity within the church. Today, as uh, laid before us in our skit, we're going to dive into unity in relationships and how sometimes it looks a little different than we may have thought. So we've all had disagreements, right? We're human. It's going to happen. Whether it's a sibling disagreement, coworkers, marital discussions, uh, even people within churches, people within ministry, we all have disagreements. It's true. Just because we're Christians or called into ministry doesn't mean we're perfect or we're going to agree on everything. But it's really, really prevalent in today's society. We're very, very divided. We have different opinions on a lot of things, even within the church. Um, but having disagreements is never an easy conversation. Most of us aren't thrilled to have them. Um, even if we know we have to do it, we think, am I coming across too soft? Am I coming across too hard? Am I speaking clearly and being heard? And if we're in a healthy place, am I hearing the other party? We agonize over all of these things pertaining to conversations, hard ones, and confrontations. So we're picking up the story of Paul and Barnabas today. Um, they're having a disagreement. Some translations even say sharp disagreement. Some say split or separate. Any way it's described, it was definitely not all puppies and rainbows with these two. We are showing what can happen when confrontation occurs, when disagreements get the better of two people. And not just two random people, but two men who were some of the most faithful Christ followers of the time, maybe of all time. Paul and Barnabas are coming off of this theological confrontation um, in which they were championing unity. But now in their friendship and work relationship, they're encountering some difficulties. In front of the council, they were an all-star duo. They worked together like peanut butter and honey, like peas and carrots, like Bert and Ernie. But now we see that while they agreed on the essentials and were working toward the same goal, they didn't agree how to get there. 
that might be hard for us to hear as followers of Christ. Some of us have been taught that we need to be agreeable or that we shouldn't speak against anyone else in the church. But we see here that scripture plainly lays out that disagreements will happen between brothers and sisters in Christ. This leads us to where I'd like to lean in today, not to wonder if these disagreements are going to happen, rather look at how it should look when they do. We're going to see how we can show our faith and how we are restored um, to the heart of Jesus in the midst of disagreements. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the beautiful weather. We thank you for everyone gathered in this place. We thank you for, ultimately, your word and the gift of your son and how it teaches us how to be more like you and helps bring us closer to you, even in hard times. In the name of your son, amen. So let's open up to Acts 15, verses 36 through 41. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. I'm going to stop here real quick. See, Paul has this desire to go on a second missionary trip to visit all of the churches that he and Barnabas had established on their first missionary trip. This second trip isn't going to be like the first one, however. The first one was to proclaim the gospel, establish the churches under the name of Christ. This second one is simply for edification of these churches. And Paul has just come off of this meeting with the council, and he wants to go back to all of these churches and make sure they are staying in sound doctrine. For them to mature in their faith and fall more in love with Jesus. And he's asking Barnabas to go along. Let's get back to the word. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, uh, strengthening the churches. Now we see the real reason for the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. It all centers around one man, John Mark. Let's call him Mark because that's how we know him. Barnabas agreed to go on the mission trip, but he had a suggestion. He wanted to bring his cousin Mark with them. Paul was not on the same line of thinking. As we read here, Mark had deserted them before. We aren't told why Mark left that trip early. It could have been that missionary life was too hard for him at the time. Maybe there were obstacles in him sharing his faith. We don't know for sure, aside from what we're told in Acts 13.13, 13, that John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. So we don't know exactly what Paul thought of this. But I think there are two front runners in explanation. The most widely assumed and taught is that Paul considered this total abandonment and he didn't want to run the risk of anyone deserting him again on this journey for a second time. Or perhaps, and where my think the best of people side leans, 
is maybe subconsciously he knew what they were walking into. That there would be more persecution and pushback on this trip. More violence, more incarceration. Perhaps the spirit was telling him that this is not where Mark was supposed to be. That if a mission trip was, uh, that was a lighter, was too much for him, that this would break the poor man. Barnabas had different thoughts. He wanted to give Mark another chance. Perhaps it was because he had a different relationship with Mark and he had seen a change in him. Perhaps he knew a deeper reason why he left the first trip. Again, we don't really know. We're speculating. We just know that Barnabas wanted Mark with them. Also, Barnabas literally means son of encouragement. I think on top of him caring deeply for his cousin, he also wanted to encourage him in his calling. This leads us to our sharp disagreement. The Greek word used there is, let me, let me read my phonetic pronunciation again, paroxysmas. That's a big one. It's also kind of fun to say, paroxysmas, which used here means irritating, contentious, inciting, violent anger, or passion. So this wasn't just a little squabble. This was serious. This was ice cream, people. Ice cream on a hot day. Okay, it was much more than ice cream. <laughs> it was two men being very, very passionate about their stance. The more they argued, the more angry they probably got. Have you ever been in a restaurant and two people at a table start arguing? And like the rest of the restaurant kind of, there's a hush. And everyone kind of looks to see what's going on. I can imagine that happening here. As humans, when we see an argument like that going on, we want to know who's right and who's wrong. What is going on here? Who do I need to side with? Looking at this argument between Paul and Barnabas, who do you think was right and wrong? Whose side would you be on? Paul had lost trust in Mark. Paul had looked at the evidence in the ministry experience that he had with Mark so far. He had deserted him once. What made him think that he wouldn't do it again? And then his team would be one less person. He'd be, they'd be vulnerable. Paul perhaps believed that Mark wasn't cut out for life as a missionary especially not on the level that Paul expected on this trip. Again, he knew they were going to face more opposition, persecution, hardship, death. Every possibility was out there. They didn't know. I can imagine him yelling at Barnabas, Don't you remember what the Lord said? No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Anybody remember Lot's wife? There's been a viral video of Christine Kane going around, and it's all about Lot's wife. And boy, oh, it's a good one. It got me. But looking back, did Lot's wife no good? She was longing for the comfort of what she knew instead of trusting what the Lord had ahead of her. See, Paul was mission-focused. He cared so much for the people he was trying to reach for Jesus. But he showed it in a way that was very different from Barnabas. 
Barnabas was looking at the man, not just the mission. He wanted that second chance for Mark. If he wants to go, let him go. Barnabas had been on that first trip. He knew what was ahead of them. Just like I can imagine Paul yelling at Barnabas, I can imagine Barnabas yelling back, sure, he has a bit of a stain on his past, but do you remember what you were doing before your encounter with Jesus? And do you remember that I had to vouch for you with the other apostles? Sounds like you got a second chance. So here's the question again. Would you be team Paul or team Barnabas? I think they both have their merits. And I think their personalities played into it a lot too. Paul was very straightforward, even brash at times. He wouldn't mince words. He used both his head and his heart, but sometimes the two wouldn't meet. He was knowledgeable with scripture. He was well taught. And he asked people to uphold the same standards that he did. Barnabas was a people person, a comforter. He was a shepherd to the flock. And like I said earlier, his name meant son of encouragement. Of course he's going to stick up for the underdog. I can very easily see myself on either side of this debate. If trust hasn't been built or has been broken in a relationship with me, sure, I'm willing to step into forgiveness, but I'm going to be hesitant to let that person back in close very quickly. And that's what this mission trip was. They were going to be in close quarters, counting on each other. Brothers, closer than brothers even. So I can see myself on Paul's side in that. I'd certainly be hesitant to go into a life or death situation or a situation where eternities are at stake, where they are, like, as they are in the church. That's a big deal to me. But on the Barnabas side, I also know the value of unmerited grace in my own life. And I love a return to a peaceful and a joyful reconciliation. I also love encouraging people. So I can see myself on the Barnabas side. Paul was absolutely focused on the theological. Barnabas was absolutely focused on the relational. In the church, we want theological and relational to meet. And that's what we had in this pair. Separately, early on in the ministry, these two may have struggled on their own. But together, they formed this incredible team that took the gospel forward. Alas, Luke does not tell us who was right or wrong here. Who's right to side with? Because I don't think there's a clear answer either way. I believe that this is a case of a preference issue, not theological. And when it comes down to that, and there's no budging on either side, sometimes the only thing to do, and what verse 39 says that Paul and Barnabas did, is what needs to happen. They went their separate ways. It was so heated that the only way to settle this debate was to dissolve their all-star pairing. Now, nothing in scripture says that they ever teamed up in ministry again. Luke doesn't say they got on their knees and prayed together. We don't know if they ever hugged it out. And again, it's tough to read that, or rather not to read that. 
How could these two godly men not come together? Scripture is clear that we are called to unity within the body. Paul writes more on unity than any other author in the New Testament. Let's look at one of the other verses that he writes. Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing affection. So why couldn't they unite even though they disagreed? Let's read a few verses later in Romans. Paul actually sheds a little bit more light on that. Romans 12.18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That verse illustrates that sometimes unity outwardly will not be achieved. And separation will be preferable in an unceasing argument. It says live peaceably, not be besties. How can that be? We can look in the many different denominations in the Big C Church today and get a little bit of a picture of this. There are over 400 registered Christian denominations in the United States today. Some of them, unfortunately, are misguided, and they're not what they claim to be. But there are churches in different denominations from ours that are intentionally following Christ, the same God and scripture that we do. But we do disagree with them to some degree, or them with us. It could be that we use electric instruments and drums, and they don't. It could be that we believe in women in leadership ministry. Whatever it is, we differ in some way, and we may be separated by our worship, or females wearing pants, but we are unified in our salvation. Our doctrinal distinctives of this church and of the Foursquare Church are on our website. And if you ever have any questions about those, please come to Pastor Jonathan or me. We will be happy to talk about them. Here's the thing. You don't have to agree with all of them to be part of our family here. But that is where what this church as a whole stands for and what you will hear on Sundays being preached. And even if we disagree on a couple of those, we can still be unified here as a church body. I know that there are some people in this room who weren't comfortable with me teaching on Sundays even just two years ago. Some of them more recently than that. Some of you may still not be. Some of us don't like the songs that we play for worship. And that's okay. Not everything or everyone is going to be everyone's cup of tea. But we can all still be unified in our salvation. It's interesting to me that Luke included this account in the earl of the early church in Acts. He could have just said they separated and covered more ground with Paul going one way and Barnabas going the other. But instead, the text is very honest. It must be there for us to learn something, right? And the crux of this part of the story is about disagreement. So really, if, it, if it's not if we need to know how to handle things, it's how do we know how to handle things and remain in unity? As we start to answer that, I want us to look at a couple verses in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 and 16. 
they are the baseline to pair with our passage today. If your brother or sister sins against you, go ahead and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, this teaching is the baseline of how to handle disagreements between believers within a church body. But I believe that Christ is actually giving us an answer on how to handle our disagreements with others in general. Understanding this passage will show Jesus' ultimate goal of unity within the body. He desires for us to be unified even after hard conversations. If we compare these verses with the story in Acts, we can draw some significant conclusions and observations on how we are to engage in disagreements. The first point I want us to understand is that it is our responsibility as a Christian to go to the person that hurt us. In Acts, we see that there is no talking behind the back of Paul or Barnabas. It's a head-to-head thing. They weren't getting anyone onto their side or getting sympathy. It was brought straight to the brother they had the issue with. If we're honest, not a lot of us do that successfully all the time or on a consistent basis. Whether it's bouncing our feelings off of someone else to validate our pain or hurt, or it's flat out rallying people to be in our corner, we don't always go to our offender first. If we aren't willing, ultimately, to come to our offender family, all we're doing is gossiping. It's a sin, and it's a cancer within relationships and within the church. Now, let me be clear that this doesn't need to be an immediate thing, but it can't linger either. Taking some time to pray and hear the Lord or let some steam off or figure out what about that situation hurt us so we can clearly communicate our feelings with the other person in love, that's more than okay. And in my own personal experience, nine times out of ten, God's going to be like, "Ah, you're feeling a little wonky about this. You need to deal with this or have some lunch or take a nap and then see how you feel about it. But we just don't want to take too long that we're we're, we're tempted to talk to others or let bitterness take hold. In Ephesians 4, Paul tells us, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak in the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Be not angry and do not sin. Skipped a word there. Um, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, what Paul's saying here is what I said just a minute ago, don't wait too long. But let me be clear, he's not saying you have to have things resolved by 8.51 when the sun goes down. He's saying don't wait until the anger festers in your heart and makes it hard for you to have a gentle approach when you come to your brother or sister. And while you're waiting or cooling down, please be praying. Pray for your emotions to be regulated. Pray for discernment and wisdom. Pray for your character to reflect Christ as you enter that hard conversation. A mentor of ours in Yakima um, used to tell every group that came through our marriage class, go to the throne, not the phone. And it's something that I have tried to remember and cling to 
And more times than not, I succeed, but I am not perfect. Um, None of us are. Um, Ultimately, spiritual maturity looks like going to God and then directly to the person who hurt, disrespected, yada, yada, etc. Second point as we enter into these hard conversations with our brothers and sisters is that we ultimately know that God's sovereign hand will push the gospel forward no matter what. In our passage, the dream team has broken up. Paul and Barnabas have split. At the time, it could have seemed like the gospel was not going to go forward in a way, um, in the same way that it would have if they were together. Maybe it would die out. But clearly it did go forward. And yes, it was probably hard on a lot of people because no one saw this coming. And they were so used to things the way they were. But this is the way the church has gone forward. What are we going to do now? This is different. This is uncomfortable. Church, none of this caught God by surprise. And it didn't make him uncomfortable. Nothing does. Also, a church that does things because that's the way we've always done it, aside from following the Bible, of course, is a church that's dying. And none of us want that. We always want to be growing. We always want to be bringing the gospel forward and reaching more people for Christ. God wasn't thrown off of anything because of this disagreement or this change. He wasn't left with his hands in the air saying, well, what do I do next? I had this team. He knew, and his sovereign plan was in play. The gospel now would, be taken, would not only be taken by two men on one mission trip, it would be taken by five men on two mission trips. Paul grabbed Silas and also took Timothy with him. Barnabas took Mark. They have now doubled the ministry teams. God, out of all of this anger and argument, he has taken the anger and the wrath of men and he has used it for his glory. That's the key from this. He makes the wrath of men praise him. We all know what God does through Paul. He writes the majority of the New Testament. He takes the gospel to a multitude of nations. He becomes one of, if not the most prominent characters, in the New Testament, aside from Christ. He pens letters on church organizations, on unity in the body. He helps with our identity in Christ. Now, what about the forgotten one in this argument? Nope, not Barnabas. I'm talking about Mark. At this point, he is known as the deserter. What a bummer. He's basically Yoko Ono to the greatest ministry team that's been. Ooh, that one hit some people. Okay, all right. Um, He failed. He did not live up to expectations. Do we feel compassion for him? Who in this room has never failed at anything? I should see no hands. Because we've all failed. Mine is definitely firmly down. I'll even... Take my hand off the computer. But at the end of the day, God's providence secures the future of Mark's ministry and his name. What's his accomplishment? He wrote a little book called Mark. 
God took this man who was seen at one point as a failure and used him to write one of the accounts and teachings of his only son. God changed his reputation through grace and forgiveness that is only found in Christ. We know this isn't ultimately about Mark and his failure. It's about the finished work of Christ on the cross. God was always going to use Mark to reflect his glory. This passage and this argument was always about God. It was never simply about Mark. His, God's plan to restore his children was going to go forward even amongst the disagreements between those who loved him. So that's why we have this urge to go directly to a person. And an understanding that those conversations, even though they may be hard, that God's sovereign hand will push the gospel forward through them. Honestly, none of us are promised another day. And if one of us isn't here tomorrow, the church and the gospel will go on. Sure, we'll miss you. But nothing's going to stop. And my last point, that our ultimate goal should be reconciliation. Because we have been reconciled to God. Before we get into this, I want you to understand that as believers, this, our goal should be reconciliation, like I just said, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen every time or it's going to happen in the time that we expect it to. It takes two people to reconcile and restore a relationship. And as believers, we should strive for brokenness to be mended between us, and it won't always be easy. Sometimes we have to walk through some serious pain we have to walk through our belief on what we are owed and what we need to be vindicated for, right or wrong. Our belief in what we deserve in order for the brokenness to be mended, right or wrong. But we live in a broken world. And the best thing to do is to listen to the Lord. Sometimes he's going to tell you to stick it out and push forward and through for reconciliation. Sometimes he is going to tell you that you are released from a place or a relationship and to move forward and along with what he has in front of you. That's exactly what happened at our last church. After years of service there, we felt God release us and through a series of con hard conversations <laughs> and then a series of good conversations and a live streamed meeting, we knew that he placed this church in front of us as our next step. It was hard, even though we knew we were going to good things. The conversations were hard, even though the other people knew we were going to good things. But it was God's plan, and we're grateful for it. Back to our boy Paul. He split. And for all we know, uh, things are severed between him and Barnabas, and he wants nothing to do with Mark at all. Luke doesn't show us any kind of restoration or reconciliation in the book of Acts, but we can go to later writings by Paul and see that uh, he mentions both of the other individuals in this story. In 1 Corinthians, which was written roughly 10 years after this argument, he mentions Barnabas in chapter 9, verse 6. 
he mentions him there as a fellow apostle. Someone equal to him, someone doing the same work as him. So somewhere in that decade, there was some healing. And for Mark, we go to 2 Timothy, where he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. This is in Paul's last days. He wanted Mark by his side. And this is 15 to 18 years um, after this disagreement in Acts. We don't know when they reconciled, but we do know he speaks highly enough of him for him to want him beside him and doing ministry with him in his last days. Plus, if Paul says that somebody's useful, that's a huge stamp of approval. As heated as this argument was, and as intense as they both felt, over time their relationships were healed and restored. And it might not have looked the same as it did before, but there was healing and restoration there. When we have true reconciliation in our lives, we can only have one feeling, and that should be awe. So many things have to happen in order for this to take place. First, we have to confront the other person. Then we have to own up to our part of the brokenness, own up to the sin that we brought to the table. Third, we have to forgive. Both sides must. That same mentor that, uh, that I was talking about earlier also taught us that one of the greatest paradoxes of Christianity is if you are offended, you must be the first to seek forgiveness. If you have offended someone, you must be the first to seek forgiveness. Let's let that marinate for a minute. No matter if you are offended or the offender, reconciliation and seeking forgiveness is your job. Then fourth, we must trust again. Both sides have to do this together. It's very, very rare that all of those things happen. It's so rare that I'm going to use some Christianese. I'm so sorry. It can only be a God thing. It can only come from him because he is the author of reconciliation and has ordained it to happen in our lives. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Family, because he has done this for us, we can, should, and often have an urge, a longing, or just a nagging pit in our stomachs, to do this with each other. Jesus continues in Matthew 5, 23 through 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar 
And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be reconciled first to your brother and then come and offer your gift. What he's saying here is that before we even ask him for forgiveness for what we've done to add to whatever disagreement we're in, because we all know there's three sides to every disagreement, your side, their side, and what actually happened, um, we need to be reconciled or at least attempt it with our brother or sister. So I urge you all today as you are leaving, as we prepare for our potluck, celebrating our beautiful new upper building and the approved permits. Woo! In the wise words of all bro Christians out there, check your heart. Check your heart, bro. Guard your heart, bro. If you're having a hard time reconciling with others, let the fact that you have been reconciled to God be the baseline and the foundation going forward in seeking that reconciliation and recon restoration in your relationships. Examine your anger and hostility and ask the Lord to help you to communicate those feelings in love in a way that would imitate our Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for you breathing into us your scripture and everything that we need to know to go forward and be your messengers, to be your ambassadors, to carry your love forward, and most importantly, to carry the gospel forward. Lord, we know that there is nothing that we can do without you. And Father, in disagreements in our lives, show us where our faults are. Give us your heart toward that other person. Father, we ask for wisdom and discernment. We ask you to show us where we need boundaries or where we need to let walls down. Father, we trust you to keep us safe. So right now, we lay before you anything that we have held on to that we have let that seed of bitterness take hold. Root that out, God. Allow us to go forward and have these conversations in love with our brothers and sisters so that we can show and be the unity that you have called us to have as brothers and sisters in Christ. praise you, Lord. We thank you in advance for everything that you're going to speak to our hearts. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ. <laughs>